You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, our culture is full of rivalries, right? It's full of passionate debate. I talk to my staff all the time about how we're going to debate passionately a particular item at a staff meeting. Uh, Our our culture is full of arguments and and, and dividing lines where you're kind of being forced to almost take one side or the other. And I'm sure you're like me, you've realized over the last few years, it's getting harder and harder to live in the ground of the radical middle, that we're being polarized in all kinds of different directions. And some of them are serious things, some of them are more silly, right? Like even just think about the major universities of our state. Are you a ram or are you a buffalo? There's a right answer and a wrong answer to this. I'm a ram. That's right. There we go. Um, or or the, I love this debate, the goat of basketball, right? Is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? I've never, I've never been around so many more offended people than when you bring up LeBron James to Michael Jordan fans. They just inherently get offended, right? Like it's just so... Fascinating, but it's not just sports we debate. We debate superhero universes. Is it DC or Marvel? Which one is best? This should be an easy one for you, but yet we stand divided. There's even economic debates. This is one of my favorites, especially if you're in the crypto world. Is it Shib or Doge? Right? Like, what is your meme coin? That landed on about 15% of the room. It's not not quite mainstream enough for that one yet. I get it, but uh, you know, I, I love even the debates that happen around the holiday season. Like, how soon is too soon to decorate for Christmas? Or maybe, how do you fasten the toilet paper roll in the bathroom? Like, do you want that paper to fold under, like some kind of uncontrollable mess, or do you want it to just nicely lay on the top so that it's easily accessible in times of need? Right? These are. These are things that you can debate. They will create sides, and you can have a lot of fun around these these debates. Most of them are silly. Most of them are fun. But like I said, what's interesting is that as our culture moves forward, and, and as we come up with much harder things to discuss, much harder things to debate, I have found that it is, like I said earlier, harder and harder to stand in the middle, to live in the tension, to be a part of the radical middle. I'm finding it harder and harder to be accepted by people who maybe disagree with me, who think or act and behave differently than I do. But our promise for today, our promise as Christians, our promise found in Ephesians chapter 2, gives us this amazing declarative truth that I think we need to hear over and over and over again. The promise is simple, that you have been united. That is your promise. Remember the book of Ephesians. It's a a book written to Christians. And in chapter 2, it says that we have been both united in Christ, but also united to each other. That because of the cross, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that you have been both reconciled to the Father, but that also you've been reconciled to one another. 
The context of Ephesians 2, I think, is super applicable for us today because in the day and age of Ephesians chapter 2, the church and really the world was riddled with division. There were walls of hostility that were growing among the people. And particularly, Paul in this book is addressing the division seen between two people groups, namely the Jews and the Gentiles. And and they did not get along at all. They didn't eat together. They didn't spend time together. They disagreed on almost every single thing. And even after Jesus, you can sense that they still struggled to be a unified people group. I mean, they were divided religiously, politically, economically. They were divided socially. And yes, they were even divided racially and ethnically. Do the promises of Ephesians 2 and the struggles that Paul's writing about sound familiar to anyone today? The division, the complete division between people groups. Thankfully, we have been given a promise. We have been given a promise that in Christ we have been United. I want to read our text for this morning, Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 16. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. This is an amazing promise. A powerful promise with incredible implications, that somehow in Christ that we have been united, that we've been united. Now brace yourself because I'm, I'm about to say something that might bother some of you. I'm about to use the S word in church. It's not a very popular word in church these days, but I'm not afraid to say it in this church. The word is sin. Sin. I can tell that some of you thought it was a different S word that I was about to say. I'm not sure which one you would have rather had me actually say. Sin. We have to talk about sin when we're talking about this passage because sin is what created this wall of hostility in the first place. It's why Jews and Gentiles weren't navigating with each other. It's why they were struggling so much. Sin divides. Sin creates a chasm between us and God and us and others. And any kind of Bible study mixed with some sort of self-reflection would confirm this, that, that God is holy. And so when we turn our backs on God, when we live according to our own will, not according to his will for our life, it creates this divide. It creates a separation between us and God, our unholiness and God's holiness. And this is 
The same thing happens in in your human relationships. Sin hurts. Sin divides. It separates and causes distance. And a lot of Ephesians 2 is talking about how sin hurts relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and how through Christ, these walls of hostility that have been built up can be broken down. So thankful that Ephesians 2 teaches us very clearly that Jesus died for your reconciliation with God. That Jesus died for your reconciliation with God. That separation from God no longer has to be your narrative. Look at verse 13 once more. But now you have been united, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. If you've never made a personal decision to follow Jesus, whether you're here in this room or maybe watching online, then then from the kindness of my heart, I feel compelled to tell you that there's only one way for this separation between you and God to be eliminated, and it's through the power of the cross. It's through the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus, what he has done for you, that he came and lived the life you couldn't live, that he died the death that you were supposed to die, that he was buried, but that he was resurrected back to life. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, that he forgives you, that he wipes you away from all kinds of shame that you're riddled with. He separates you completely from your sin and adopts you into his family, that you are now united in Christ as a son or a daughter, and you are a child of God. You are united with Christ forever. This is your promise. That although sin has made you far from God through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross, he has brought you near. Jesus accomplished this on the cross because he wants to have an eternal kind of friendship and relationship with you. He wants to be with you forever, for eternity. Jesus has made a way for this to happen for you personally, but as Ephesians 2 teaches, it's also for the world. It's also for your relationship with others. See, Jesus died for your reconciliation with God, and Jesus died for your reconciliation with others. Both. The work of the gospel is absolutely about your personal forgiveness of sins. It's about your personal relationship with God and your eternal friendship and closeness with God that starts with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also influences all of your other relationships. See, Jesus also died to reconcile people groups into one family of God. If you look at verse 14, you can see it clearly. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus nailed hostility and division to the cross. And it hung on the cross like every other sin did too. This teaching continues in verse 16 then when it, when, it, when it says, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. 
Because of Jesus, we are promised unity. Division doesn't have to be our narrative. Unity to God and unity with each other because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And here in this text, there were people that were divided because of their ethnicity. They were divided because of their race. They were divided because of their religious and political and socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of differences. And Paul is saying, guys, you don't get it. You don't understand how powerful the cross is. You don't understand the power of the gospel. You're now one. Because of Jesus, you've been promised one of the most powerful things that you can imagine. True reconciliation between people groups. Adopted into one family. But I'm telling you, if you study the early church and if you look at the other letters and you read the book of Acts, you realize pretty quickly that the church had to work at reconciliation. They had to work at it. Unity was the promise, but reconciliation does take work. And you would have to be living under a rock in the last couple of years to think this isn't still a problem for some of us today, right? We still need to work on this. The promise was established with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but reconciliation is still needing to take place. Over the last year, I have been accused of talking about racism far too much. To share just a moment of transparency with you, it has broken my heart that over the last year we have lost some families who have attended our church because they didn't want me to talk about racism anymore. They wanted me to just stick to preaching the gospel. This is a phrase that I've been told. And my response out of kindness and out of love is the same response that I want to share with you this morning. Please hear my heart and understand. I can't preach the gospel without talking about reconciliation. I can't do it. I would have to ignore chunks of scripture. I would have to ignore certain teachings of Jesus. I would have to skip Ephesians 2 in our series in the book of Ephesians. I'd have to skip it. Ephesians 2 makes it so incredibly clear that Jesus Christ died so that we would be reconciled to the Father forever, but so that also we would be reconciled to each other. And these things, they go together. They always have gone together. And so I need to preach it because it's in the scripture. It's part of God's heart. It's a kingdom value. It shows up when God's rule and reign is being established on earth as it is in heaven. And church, these are our promises. These are our promises given to us that if we could lay hold of these promises and be part of the solution, I promise you, we would influence the world and we would see so much transformation because of the reconciliation that we would get to be a part of. It would be phenomenal. And I understand this can be tough to talk about. I understand that Things like racism or racial reconciliation can be hard to talk about. It can be hard because some of you in this room have experienced racism in your life. And the more I hear your personal stories and the more that we spend time together, the more I'm heartbroken for what you've gone through. The more I'm angered by what you've gone through. 
And it's also hard because not everybody you meet is a racist. That there's a lot of really good people in the world who are trying to fight against racism and they don't always know what to say and they don't always know what to do. And they very rarely say it perfectly. But they're just as dissatisfied with what they see as maybe you and me. I've gotten a lot of pushback. And one of the arguments that I get over and over and over again is that I need to stop talking about race because in Christ, we're all one race, the human race. So they say, Jeff, stop talking about black or white or brown because we're all one in Christ. And I'm sure some of you have bravely tried to talk about racial reconciliation have probably heard similar things. And so if you've gotten pushback like me, then I just want to give you a quick two-minute teaching on how to think about that, how to navigate that, maybe how to apply it to your life and maybe some of the conversations that you might find in because I have found that navigating that tension can be super important for the Christian. And even if nobody pushes back on you directly like they do me, (laughs) I'm sure you've at least heard that argument on TV or on social media And it could leave you wondering, like, how do I think about that? How do I navigate? How do I wrestle with that tension? How do I take texts like Ephesians 2 when it says that both groups will be united as one in Christ and then kind of overlay that with this debate that happens on when you should stop talking about race because we're all one race, the human race. Usually the argument goes something along like this. People approach me and they tell me to stop doing certain things and talking about certain things. And then what's tricky is that sometimes they'll use scripture, right? You maybe, maybe this has happened for you. I can always tell when, I'm about, when it's about to happen to me because someone finds me in the lobby with their Bible open like this and their finger is on a, on a verse and they're, they're following me in the lobby. I try to go to coffee. I try to, it just, I end up, this is, this is the giveaway, right? And so they usually come to me and they usually share a verse from Galatians 3. It's Galatians 3.28 and it says this, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then they go on to inform me that it's not black or white or anything else, but that it's all one in Christ, that in Christ we're all one. And I know actually from personal conversations with some of you that you've navigated this same conversation. You've wondered what to say. And so I want to just share my two thoughts on how I navigate this. And, I, and my prayer is that it would be helpful for you as you find yourself in these conversations as well. They, they, it may help you have a loving conversation, not an argumentative one, a loving one, okay? So first, what I, what I tend to point out is that um, Galatians 3 or Ephesians 2, the text we're in today for that matter, isn't talking about unity of skin color. That somehow, like, when we get to heaven, we go through, like, the lens of the Holy Spirit, and we're all mysteriously turned into some majestic mixture of all races combined into one. Right? That, that doesn't happen when you die to go in heaven. If it did, by the way, just for the record, we'd be a lot more brown than I am. Just if you think about it. Okay? But these passages, they're not primarily about the unity or the merging of skin color, they're primarily about your proximity or privilege to Jesus. 
and how all, despite all the differences of the different people groups from around the world, that when you respond to the gospel and when you give your life to Christ, now everyone is adopted as a son or daughter of God and you all have the same proximity and privilege to Jesus. In heaven, it says in Revelation 7, that God keeps the diversity. That every tribe, nation, and tongue is seen worshiping in heaven. Can you imagine that scene? It has to be one of the most beautiful things that you can imagine. That God keeps the diversity in heaven, particularly in these forms of worship. That you'll be surrounded with people who look different than you, who speak different than you, who act different than you, but serve and worship the same God. That is a beautiful picture of the age to come. Diversity clearly reflects God's beauty. Usually that, in a nutshell, kind of looking at Revelation 7 and how God keeps diversity in the age to come is enough, but sometimes it's not. And so at that point, if it's not helping, I just point out that the end, the last phrase of Galatians 3.28, says that there is no male and female. And then I simply ask, are you saying there's no gender? And of course, they don't want to go down that road, right? And so then I get my little hermeneutical analytics on. I get a little Bible nerdy, and I say, well, by standard hermeneutical interpretation, if you're going to understand the beginning this way, then you need to understand the whole text this way. And so if you're saying there's no racial differences, then you also have to say there's no gender differences. But that's not what we're saying. So clearly, that's not what Galatians 3 means either. Right? God keeps the distinction and the difference. And so it must mean something more about privilege and proximity than actually just us merging into one particular human race. Is this making sense? Is this helpful? It might feel a little tense. It might feel a little heady. I understand that. But this is important to talk about. It's important to talk about because as long as there are still walls of hostility that separate people groups, then we will have a ceiling on how much we can experience the gospel. It's just a reality. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Ephesians, wrote this. He said, if our churches are still divided in any way along racial or cultural lines, Paul would say that our gospel, our very grasp of the meaning of Jesus' death, is called into question. Just a direct a direct point, not pulling any punches. That clearly we read in Ephesians that our ability to understand the gospel should impact how we treat and work towards reconciliation and peace and unity with different people groups. Again, reconciliation and unity is a kingdom value. See, Jesus died on the cross for your personal salvation, but he also died on the cross for reconciliation between people groups. And this is a hot topic right now, right? It's everywhere in our culture and people in positions of influence. I think, I think are honestly trying to make a difference. But from my vantage point as a, as a pastor, as a person of faith, what I've noticed is that they keep trying to use earthly solutions to deal with these earthly struggles. And that will always fall short. Ephesians 2 is incredibly clear. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that is the central tool for reconciliation. 
And until the cross is held up as the mechanism for breaking down the walls of hostility that divide us, walls will continue to remain. We have to have Jesus at the center of this conversation. We have to have his death and resurrection as part of the conversation because without it, we'll only experience earthly solutions to these deep problems. And that's not what we're after. We're after eternal transformation. We're after a picture of heaven on earth. And in order to have a picture of heaven on earth, we have to start with the very thing that made it possible in the first place, the person of Jesus Christ. If you'll hang with me for just a little bit longer, I was praying and processing this text and thinking about our own local church and how we've done along this line and seeing the reconciliation and unity between different people groups. And so if, we're, if I were to apply this scripture to our own local community, I think that there's some areas that we do really, really well. And I think there's some areas where I'm praying that we will continue to grow. So just, just a quick refresher, Ephesians 2, he's talking about all these differences. They're wide, they're many, they're political, social, economic, religious, as well as racial and ethnic. And this was all wrapped up into the differences between Jew and Gentile. And so according to those differences, I think one of the things I really love about our church is that every Sunday when we gather, you are sitting in close proximity to someone who votes differently than you do. This is a, this is a surprise to some of you. But I see where you're sitting, and I know who you're sitting by. And I can tell you that every Sunday you come and you sit in close proximity to someone who votes differently than you. But you still worship the same God. You still follow Jesus together. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together as an act of unity. This is a beautiful picture. Unity is easy when you're surrounded by people that think and act exactly like you do. It is way more of a kingdom tension when you're able to do that with people who are different. This is good. This is a good thing about our church. I think the same thing is true about money. In our church, we have people from all across the board in their socioeconomic understanding, beliefs, as well as their personal finance and situation. We have rich and poor in this church and everything in between. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about our church, that you can worship with somebody very close to you that maybe has a completely different financial situation, and together we can care for one another's needs. We can support one another. And just because you maybe have more money doesn't mean you get favoritism in our church. Or if you have less money doesn't mean you get pandered to and just patted on the back and cared for all the time. That everybody is gathered together to care for one another's needs. And at any given moment, you are worshiping near someone who is very different to, than you in terms of their financial stability. This is a beautiful picture of the kingdom. We have differences in education and family upbringing, even the way that you think about Christmas decorations and how to hang the toilet paper roll. <laughs> Tons of differences in this church, all under one roof serving the same God. But I will say, an area of growth, I think something that we could grow in would be our, our racial and ethnic diversity as a church. And this is something I desperately want to grow in. I'm praying that we grow in here. Because I think it demonstrates the kingdom. If you read the Gospels, if you read Revelation, if you read the letters to the early church, this is a kingdom 
ethic. It demonstrates reconciliation and unity, which again is a promise given to us right here in Ephesians 2, that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we would be united as one. And specifically to that point, if I can speak to the brothers and sisters of mine in this church who are less white than I am, I'm quite white. Listen, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you that you're hanging in there with us as we grow in this area. I thank you that you're hanging with us. And I would invite you to hang with us a little bit more. We're not where we want to be in terms of our diversity, but we're growing. We're making progress. And I want to invite you to hang with us because if you can hang with us, we could build a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God in this church. That would be a demonstration of the kingdom here, but it would be a demonstration of the kingdom to our whole city. So I want to invite you to hang with us just a bit longer because I think that God has that promise for us as well. The truth is it's going to take all of us to break down the walls of hostility. It truly is. It's going to take all of us. It will take us working with each other, clinging to the cross above all things, and trusting that verse 16 is the way to make it happen. Look at verse 16 one more time. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. It's not my effort. It's not your effort. It's not human effort. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes a way for us to be reconciled both to God and reconciled to one another. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. We always have communion available every week up front for you to kind of serve yourself and participate that way. This week, or actually on the first Sunday of every month, we try to take it together. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you actually forward to grab your communion elements and go back to your seat without taking communion. And then I'll come up and I'll lead us in a time of communion together. By doing this together, it is an act of unity. It's an act of reconciliation. It demonstrates how we will cling to Christ crucified more than anything else to find our reconciliation. And so when it's time to take communion, I'll be inviting you to think about your personal salvation and how Christ has died for you to be reconciled to the Father. But I'll also invite you to think about how Christ has died to reconcile people groups. If you've been with us before, you know that usually after every sermon, we kind of take a time of quiet reflection where we invite you to sit and process and think about everything that's done this week. In lieu of that reflection time, I'm going to invite you to quietly come forward, get that communion, and go back to your seat to prepare your heart to remember the sacrifice. After communion, then I'll lead us into a time of ministry and response where we will invite the Lord to do some work among us and work in our hearts. But let's prepare to take communion together as an entire community and family of God. Let's pray.